Well, welcome everyone to our podcast, Land and People, where we interview people who have been working on the land or who have ancestral ties to the land. I'm Melissa Kamara. I'm a conservationist and artist here on Hawaii Island. And I'm Clay Charnick. I run an extension program at University of Hawaii at Manoa, focusing on fire and ecosystems. And just as we always say, almost always, the views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of our funders or our employers, nor those of the people that we interview. And a reminder to please rate and review. <laughs> we get some feedback directly, which we very much appreciate, but just, you know, for people and us to learn like what you guys think, we'd really appreciate it. We have one. Yes. To prove to you how much we love reviews, we're going to read the one that we have. This is Susan 808 who writes, love this podcast, Melissa and Clay, you rock. These interviews are wonderful. Mahalo Nui Loa, Susan 808. Yeah, thanks so much. All the other podcasts I listen to says it helps people find us. I don't know if that's true, but at least we just love to hear what you guys think. We do. And so uh, this week's interview is with Keahi Bustamente. He is the Snail Extinction Prevention Program Coordinator for Maui Nui. And if you recall from the last time, I interviewed people sort of in my cohort who've been doing this work for like 20 plus years, thereabouts, about my age. And he's one of them. He grew up on Molokai and he has been in the field solidly. I think, you, I, Clay, so I want to say- 19 years, he said, been doing it. So we're all kind of not willing to admit this, but we're, you know, we're like, are we middle-aged, I guess, but mid-career for sure. And just kind of hitting that point where we are all realizing we're probably in a position to begin mentoring people <laughs> if we aren't already. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's us all about growing up. And Keahi's interview is so amazing because he really, just like Ane and Harry, touch on how specific the knowledge that you gain in the field, especially when you're looking for rare species, whether that's snails or plants or birds. It's just something that can only really be done with years in the field. And what's really interesting, my takeaway, is the patience that's required. Yeah. I mean, it's not only just learning the plants, you know, um, I can speak to that personally, and then the field work really related to that. But then the snails are just a whole another level of understanding and patience looking for them in the field and then trying to propagate them in the lab. And it was, yeah, it was very, very fun to get a chance to, to catch up with Keahi. So with that, let's introduce our next guest, Keahi Bustamente, the Snail Extinction Prevention Program Coordinator for Maui Nui. Welcome Keahi to our show. Thank you for coming. How's it? Good. How you doing? Good. How's the terrain over there? You know, I, I live right by um, Seabury. Yeah, it wasn't really that much for us. Yeah, we need some more rain still. Yeah, we sure do. Steady. The pastures are coming back though, but that's cool. Thank you, thank you to the heavens finally. Yes. Lono came right on time. Yeah, as predicted. I know, right? Although, do either of you know about the hay? I just can't be right. Something is being put down out in Lahaina to like prevent the soil from washing away or... Silt logs. I've seen pictures of that. Enviro socks. But there's different grades of it. So there is like a natural fiber one, which is just meant to catch dirt. And then there is a black one that you see more for 
a lot of construction sites where it's right. it, it's just a plastic sock. Okay. But still also for filtering and catching soil. And then there's a green one, which is for catching chemicals or filtering chemicals. Oh, interesting. It's like trap it, actually. Yeah, there was a real interesting discussion. I was at this post-fire wrap-up because there was a fire, Mililani Malka above there. U.S. Fish and Wildlife had a team from the mainland come out and they were talking about these. They're basically like the socks, but they're going to put in plant seeds and things like that, and biochar into these things so that they'd sort of promote regeneration, promote plant growth. Mm -hmm. And it's a company on Maui that's been designing them for Lahaina um, oh. that they're going to contract to do a couple sort of green strips within the burned area. Well, let's start right at Mokuulo. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's start right there at the source and hopefully they're going to be getting some plants over there. And, you know, there is some little wet. Um, there's that canal. Yeah. That runs through there. Water seeping back, right? Because they're not pumping out of the, the well that's right nearby. Mm -hmm. Good. I love that. Those logs, though, I've been using them for a few years now for restoration. And they are really something that we need more of. And unfortunately, I'm buying them from out of nowhere. Honestly, they are at the store, you know, like a local landscaping stores, safety systems, like a construction kind of store. And they're meant for slowing erosion. Right. You know, we really need to be producing them here. And they are so simple. Every organization can make their own. There's some weedy trees that they could cut down and chip up and put into a sock. And I I don't know if you guys follow Aino Momona. Yeah. They've been producing their own socks, which is awesome because that's exactly what they need. Without them, you cannot grow a plant. The soil will continue to fall and then the, the planting will fall over and die. Yeah, we had a zone burn way high. It was like one of the first burn areas I ever worked on. It was like this is like 20 years ago in uh, YNI. And combination of Division of Forestry and Board of Water kind of all pitched money in and, and put a bunch of these erosion barriers. These The same thing. One was like these just sort of canvas sacks filled with like rice, gra rice grass, you know, supposedly sterile, but it was like re-sprouting. I don't think they ever seeded. I don't know. But mm -hmm. and then they had these coconut ones, the coconut mm -hmm. coir that lasted forever. I mean, you could find them up there like years and years after. But we just did a few plots inside and out, kind of where you had protection, where you didn't. And actually there was some degree of better regeneration where you had the erosion control, right? So like mm -hmm. the plants were able to establish mm -hmm. and persist in those places a bit better. You just see those bare open dirt scars and you're like, what? The soil is number one. I mean, that is, a, it's number one. I mean, I just interviewed Ane and we were talking about deer and they've lost mm. so much topsoil because of the deer situation over there. And Yeah, I was just over there working mm -hmm. and did a quick flight from like TNC base yard over to Elio and back. And man, unless you fly over it like that, you don't. And I've been going there. I live there as a child and go back often, but I've never been. It's the part that you can't see from the road on kind of the leeward side of Mauna Loa and then flying over. Oh my God. Yeah. The wetlands are just being covered up by mud. Filled in. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she said like a whole lava before hard pan, basically, but like before the restoration, I had no idea. I thought I saw a rare plant though, real quick on the side of my eye. 
Oh yeah. But I bet it was. Which one? If you saw it. <laughs> I'm hoping it's a Kiahi tree. Oh, oh yeah. cool. <laughs> it, it could be a Ala'a or something like that, especially when flying at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's another level. We used to t- joke about uh, drive-by botany. You know, that's yeah. like a whole other level fly-by botanizing. <laughs> yeah. I've been able to find some rare stuff like that just out of the corner of my eye. Whoa, turn around. Whoa. Yeah, go back. <laughs> that's a different shade of green over there. <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm going to bring us back to the beginning here of our questions. We do want to hear about where you are from and who and how how you got connected to the land and also about any mentors and people who influenced you in your growing up with being in the outdoors and the work you do now. Okay, you know what? I'm going to just open up that. I want to stick to your, I don't want to go too off. No, please do. That's why she jumped in. Usually she makes me answer the first question and I sit there and ramble, ramble, because I was going to talk about how once when Keahi was telling me about growing up a Maui, he's like, oh yeah, I'll, all of us, we just wanted to like drop Honda Civics and race cars around. Oh, I want to hear about that. <laughs> no one knew anything about, you know, the mountain. <laughs> Let's hear about our previous lives before working outdoors too, because that's super interesting. <laughs> totally. It's, it's part of the story. I had to go on that quest. What was the quest? I joined the Air Force and I wanted to be working aviation and being a mechanic and wrenching. That was kind of what I love to do. Just tinkering and learning about how things machines work and try to make them work better or car kind of people. On Maui? No, my parents met on Molokai. My dad was raised there. He was born in Hana. His mom was from Hana and his father was from Cebu in the Philippines and they worked on the plantation in Hana. But when that plantation went out of business, they moved the family and a whole lot of other families moved at the same time, like Kekama Helms, Ohana. And so that's how my dad got to Molokai. And then my mom came from the Peace Corps and she is uh, like a trainer. And that was a training station, I guess, in the bushes. Right. Pelekunu or something. So then I was born in, in the eight, 1980. I'm an 80s kid. We got finally got uh, like a TV and a VCR when I was like six, I think. And um, I lived up, up in the country in this old town. Well, it was, it was an old plantation camp, Kipu. And so I lived maybe less than a mile from the cliff. Yeah, that's really where I really got into just exploring and hiking. So before I was a, a mechanic, I was an explorer. Uh, that's not how I like to think about it. And pretty much by myself. My mom said the first time I left the yard, I was one, climbed the, <laughs> I climbed the fence and went up the road. But my dog brought me back. Nice. So, um, it was kind of me and my dog, my dog, Kimo. You were one of those uh, children who are a handful, I take it, for a mom <laughs> chasing. Like, where'd he go? Oh, he's in the bushes. Yeah. Sending the dogs. Go, <laughs> go round them up. But, you know, she kind of just trusted me after a while. By the time I was seven, just gone to see the cliffs for the first time and kind of remembered the way back. It was just straight pineapple fields. So I would do that once in a while and... So the, the the big cliffs he's talking about the, oh the cliffs yeah <laughs> the cliff the cliff that's the what big, I thought you were saying one. and I was like surely he can't mean that yeah yeah it was just amazing by the time I was seven and I'd just be like mom I going running or something and then I'd be gone and so yeah I really got comfortable to being just out by myself kind of even 
looking for some danger and spirits because I would get stories. My grandfather knew because he worked in a pineapple field. He knew it was a sacred area out there. Oh, that's where we got a Makahiki grounds. So he would tell me stories. He had a reverence for the area out there. He was actually probably afraid of it. And he was trying to make me scared because he was extremely superstitious as many people were, you know, in those days. It actually would cut school and climb up the mountain to cut nice. school. <laughs> <laughs> and then we would time them to where the bus was coming back up the, to the bus stop. And then oh, yeah. we would come out from the mountain. This is in Waikapu now. Mm -hmm. So eventually I moved to... Pukalani, straight out of the wilderness, out of the jungle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, I was so, oh. Yeah. How was that transition? Broke my heart. Subdivisions. It was rough. Yeah. yeah. It was rough. Yeah. Subdivisions is right. Brand new house. It was nice, I guess, but it's so weird still at the same time. It was like a brand new cottage. Um, my parents, friends, my dad moved over for work because he was commuting every day on the ferry because um, he actually worked on the ranch and then the ranch shut down. So he was a meat cutter, mm. the ranch. We should touch on that real quick. I remember going into the these huge freezer, like walk in with all the meat hanging Molokai ranch because he was in there working, huh? But man, where did that all go? We need that again. Totally. Do we have that on Maui yet? I don't think so. That small little island had this operation that was ahead of its time. Yeah, I like I was talking with the, you know, sitar grazing folks that they just say that's the biggest bottleneck, right? Is the meat processing. Like, you know, so that whole thing of developing the grass fed, grass finished beef in mm -hmm. Hawaii, like the biggest bottleneck is the processing facilities. There's not enough. Mm -hmm. They don't have, they can't manage. They're shipping offshore for better prices. Yeah. Sounds like maybe good things slowly happening on other islands like Oahu, yeah? kind of a bigger one opening up. And I think so. And people are working around it too. Like, you know, they're, yeah. they do all kinds of ways to, mm -hmm. uh, get families to kind of like, you know, sponsor cows. And mm -hmm. yeah. on Oahu, I guess, has a huge, uh, there's enough of a Muslim market. So there's a sheep herders here on Oahu. That's where they sell all. They just give them the whole animal. Oh, wow. They don't have to worry about the, yeah. That's awesome. The Oahu grazers operation. Yeah. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um. <laughs> we uh, digress here. <laughs> oh, Keahi, oh, yeah. Okay, so. Tell us about like how, well, you're in Ukulani. Pukulani, but like it's, it's easy to draw the line to the work that you're doing now, right? And well, you worked in the leeward side too. And I don't know if you want to talk about the leeward, the dry force work or not. I'd love to hear about oh, it because yeah. like- Oh, of course. I did that work too. And mm -hmm. that's where Chuck and I met. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, in, the south, in south Maui. So it's such a special place. And it is. it's such a hardcore endangered place for our listeners who don't know about the Hawaiian dry forest. Maybe just tell us. You got to imagine this really steep side of Haleakala, the steepest part of Haleakala, constantly battered by the roughest channel, really volcanic uh, uh, areas all the way down to deep ocean. Very few coves or places to get land at dry and just devastated. For a long time, right? Oh I man, mean, long time. hundred plus years. Can't even find a picture, yeah, where it's not hammered. Although I, I, I did get to see a picture of Oahu in 1960. It was pretty still kind of densely forested. Wow, up until then. Yeah. It's hard to piece that 
timeline together because a lot of times you kind of read <laughs> descriptions and it's like, yeah. yeah, there were cattle. Mm -hmm. This happened. And you're, you're kind of like, but wait, when and like how long? And mm -hmm. that's really interesting you know, because I think one of the reference points a lot of people go back to for Hawaiian Drive for us is like Joseph Rock, right? So he's writing in the 1930s and talking about the extent on Big Island, most right down to the like pretty far lowland areas and just how. And then so you think about that and like, mm -hmm. that's not a lot of time, you know, from 1930. Well, I mean, it's almost 100 years, but like how quickly mm -hmm. I just try to imagine sometimes how quickly some of these places get degraded yes steeper places it happens a lot more quickly yeah mm -hmm. makes sense one trip of one animal across the slope can just destabilize it by so much more than if it was just flat ground once a storm hits all that has an easier time because it's on a slope to slide and then take out stuff below it. I'm seeing a lot of that happening on West Maui right now. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. In a really special dry forest area, uh, Kaula Valley, mm. which is one of the main flowing streams in Lahaina. Yeah. I mean, it's the the main one thinking like politically right now and, and historically. Yeah. You know, it's pretty similar. It's like Oahe, but on a slope. Right. Oh, wow. Like Oahe is like this. Kaula is like this. <laughs> Vertical. I mean, can you tell us what's in there? Dense llama, canopy, olopua, ala'a, mamane. And then there's these little gullies and that you can see across from each one. Um, but in there, you can find more like nettles and olona here and there, but mm -hmm. mostly opuhe and mamaki. This is where the haukuahivi was discovered, okay. oh. the, the new Maui one. There's also uh, a'e xanthoxylums, um, maybe even an undescribed one there. Really beautiful trees. Everything you can think of. So diverse, extremely, extremely diverse mm -hmm. and littered with old shells of snails yeah all kinds yeah some of the most depressing yeah. things when you see those caches of shells but can we back up a little bit but you're sharing this knowledge of like what of these places and then i'm imagining like there was some jump where you were like wait there's work how did you kind of get steered towards this stuff and or who steered you toward it oh that had to be art maderis he kind of gave me my first shot i went there or there meaning the Wahi Restoration Project. I got taken by a, a couple friends, Luke McLean. Sorry. It's okay, Kiahi. We totally. No, yeah, no worries, man. We understand. understand. My brother and uh, another brother, Jeremy Spencer, but much love and yeah. respect. Rest in peace, brother Luke. Yeah, so they took me to this Saturday trip, and all I heard was native forests planting. I didn't even know what the heck that was. And honestly, I never even see one tree yet. Actually, I kind of thought I, I seen them because get these sick other sickle trees kind of. Uh, yeah. Eucalyptus. Yeah. All over Fukulani. <laughs> yeah. But eh, it's not like on Hawaii Island where they're everywhere or, right. you know, we don't have a kokee that we drive up to. I see sugarcane, pineapple, I know that plumeria is another one, all that kind of stuff, but I never know Koa. That was my level of knowledge of native plants, you know, still thinking kukui is native. So anyways, yeah, I go on this trip. At the time, I am looking for work. 
as a helicopter mechanic and working as an arborist assistant, chipping trees, getting paid cash, because just came out of the military, the Air Force, and trying to stick to the aerospace thing. And I really wanted to be a pilot and wrench my own plane, you know, kind of like a bush pilot more. And so in the meantime, I was doing stuff, learning more about what I had missed out on Maui, you know, as a kid, never really going backside, Leeward Haleakala, knowing it as backside behind the mountain, guys say. I bet you a lot of people on Maui still have not even been there seen it it is behind the mountain yeah my dad didn't want to drive that far at least really we just go straight hana turn around come back go to this awahi restoration thing my friend is jeremy's telling me all these all these names of plants and i'm just blowing away i'm like what these are all hawaiian plants for real what and this is a special place it's rare just seeing how many different ones were there together and old man how old they were yeah and gnarly and in this extreme landscape right at the cloud line sometimes in the clouds on rocky lava with pockets of soil um of this really really rich soil man so rich and black and mm-hmm. just you put your hands in them it was like air conditioning in there so soft and moist oh, and moist yeah airy and and leaf litter but um, yeah, I, you know, I asked them if I could come volunteer if they needed help. And so on Mondays, a small group of volunteers, regular ones would go up and do weeding. And so I started doing that on Mondays. They're like, oh man, this guy's interested. I was actually trying to learn, you know, art really was uh, a really good teacher and botanist. And so I was just, let's go. I like learn. Because, um, you know, he made, he explained it to me where I could, um, you know, kind of connect it to the work I was already doing in complex machines and systems mm-hmm. working together and depending on, on each other. It was really interesting. And I wasn't really learning about anything at the time. So I feel like, hey, I don't even know one other Hawaiian that knows anything about these things. Maybe I should go find some and see if we can talk about them together. How was that? Was it like, did you find it was hard to poke around or like what, well, how did that turn out? Trying to find other Hawaiians? Yeah. Yeah. It's limited. Well, I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mahilani, who's no longer with us. There's two. Yep. I got him to help work. And so Art entrusted me and gave it, gave me like a lead crew leader position there at Oahe. And I think this is probably where it started ramping up. There wasn't really a crew, a full-time crew before that. It was some part-time pay kind. I go up there once a week, but yeah, man, got them to come and work with me. That's awesome. That's what I want to continue to do too, still, is find those people who hopefully they're my cousin. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's the kind. I like my cousins be doing this work with me and and it's happened a few times. So always feels good. I feel like a lot of people are missing out on on this. Yeah. This kind of work. Just you guys know. Yeah. Pay sucks. Pay sucks. But man, your heart becomes strong. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so fulfilling. And Mm -hmm. probably most everyone, myself included, when you start or become introduced to something, it's usually like place, right? Like Awahi, that where you start 
this relationship. And then you just see how much work there is to do, you know, in mm. that place. And then the minute you have the opportunity to start thinking, oh, there's like all these other places. I'm just curious how all of a sudden coming to understand the scale of the kind of care that needs to happen in these places. I feel like we really got to prioritize. We got to do a better job at prioritizing what we're spending our time doing. How so, Kiahi? There's a lot of places like Oahe that aren't on our radar and they're getting left, forgotten about. But it's difficult if you haven't, unless you've seen all the places to see, how you can prioritize. Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate that I'm just speaking for, um, you know, Maui Nui. I've been fortunate enough to see places no one has been able to see maybe ever. Just a lot of it on different islands. And that has really opened my eyes up to how much is out there and how little is out there too. Right. Yeah. And how little time we have for some of these places, especially some of these steep places, man. They are just they're disappearing even quicker. It makes so much sense the way you're describing that earlier, but I, you know, also some of those pockets, right, where these things are left because they're inaccessible to to goats and things like that. But there's kind of that fine line where that makes them more vulnerable too. Mm-hmm. Like I just saw a new big landslide in um, Waikapu Valley, another place mm-hmm. where I grew up after Pukalani, I moved to Waikapu and that's where I would run from the bus. And so, <laughs> but Waikapu is extremely steep and that's kind of where I got into steep, liking being in steep mo- mountainous areas. Scrambling. Um, scramble kind, yeah. Talisy, but super diverse. Mm-hmm. That's something that those diverse places like good drainage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big changes in rainfall, right? You go. Yeah. You don't have to go far distance because you're going so far up and down. Yeah. Do you want to ask you the earlier question that I think Clay was asking you? Chuck wanted to know too about plants and snails. <laughs> um, Anything for Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, he just. We all want to know what do you find more challenging. In the rarity, I mean, I know that's a hard question, right? It's really maybe just to tell us the difference in working. It's harder to find a snail. It's a lot harder. I often find plants before I find snails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So even though I'm not full-time plant person, I'm part-time. I still yeah. find a lot of pep species or other rare things just because of the places that we're going to look for the snails. Yeah. But a lot of times I'm not finding snails. I mean, it's so hard. We do these counts there, the snail jails, and you're even in there, you're like, how can we even try to like mm. look up into trees? Like, right <laughs> they're literally like fenced in these teeny teeny enclosures and you can't find them out physically <laughs> impossible so when you for our listeners who don't know anything about snail conservation what do you do when you find them do you count them do you take them back to grow more of them or what is what goes on it really depends i sh- i want to start with how hard it is to even find them yeah like continue that and because they are difficult to find most of the places are helicopter mm-hmm. and then a lot of just going through dense 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 vegetation in some places when we're looking for tree snails 
in like East Maui swampy areas, it could take all day and I'll go like 500 meters. Yeah, I believe it. 700 meters is a good day. Yeah. That's not very far when you're talking about a huge, huge, huge landscape. And these are the kind of places you got to go now to find them because they're not in the lowlands anymore. Right. Yeah. They were probably in Makawao or in where people live down at mm-hmm. the coast even i've i've seen um a reference to a tree snail being on a trunk of a willy willy tree in Honokawai. i mean if we're talking willy willy tree oh that wow. that's way down there yeah on ilima even on these yeah, and dry like dry yeah dry zones for those little buggers dry forests yeah so now they're they're not in those places because they're all gone Uh, now they're just really far in remote parts of the mountain uh most of them so just getting there can be extremely challenging trying to find somewhere to land or yeah just crossing gulches or whatever but say we do find them, it depends on the species. It depends on how many we find at that site. Talking about the f- actual physical challenges of the work, you're describing how hardcore it is. I was trying to explain that to people because we have listeners from all over the world who may or may not know. It's so hard. I call it swimming sometimes. Yeah, totally. Oh, it is. That's exactly right. I've described it the same exact way through Uluhe. Mm-hmm. You're like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Arm, arms overhead. Yeah. 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 High knees. And your arms are just getting scratched. And yeah. Just, oh my gosh. Um, but it really feels like what's in some of these places, like the Uluhe's areas, it can feel like you're just wrestling mm-hmm. for hours. Yeah. I don't do jujitsu, but I know there's these legendary. <laughs> 24 hour long jujitsu matches. Right. <laughs> when I do this, I feel like, you know, if I'm going through some gnarly uluhe all day, I'm like, God damn. <laughs> it just came out of battle. And when you come to like the some bottom of some ravine and you like realize you got to go up through it and you're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is going to mm-hmm. be so long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I need to go gym now. Yeah, exactly. No, I never had to work out when I was in the field ever. I'd come home and rest, right? That's all you would do, just sleep. Go dry yeah. out on the beach somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Dry your toenails out. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, say uh, we uh we find one of these i'm gonna use like a tree snail you know it's not all about tree snails but some might criticize me for going looking for tree snails a lot but um it's one i feel that we can recover you know there's a lot of successful days more so than when you try to find some of these ground snails or like hunting for a day, the endemic snail family they're really hard to find really really hard to find they tend to be in these miziki they are known from wetter areas but these days i tend to see them in like music kind areas in gulches with olona a lot of nettles and cyanias also grow in those areas too yeah so they all kind of you know work together really mm-hmm. it's something in a lot of those areas is is the, the that snail diversity you still can find patches of olona yeah, even that one's kind of hard to come across it is and with the storms that we get now that wash out streams or take new courses even right on the streams they are taking out 
Olona on, on Westmount. We've seen a lot of that in the last five or so years, uh, especially with our flood in 2016. Mm -hmm. The super flood, man, that washed out a lot of Olona and a lot of weeds came in. It's kind of that combination because maybe Olona, would you think would be able to, if it, in the absence of the weeds, it might be able to recover in those places yeah, or even be totally. adapted to some of that. Totally. The the seeds are super viable too when yeah. there's no slugs to eat them. Right, on. right. And no competition because they're kind of slow. Yeah. Mamaki is on quick one and Mamaki does come back. Mm -hmm. Even with the weeds, it's one that can come back um, in those areas. But yeah, the Olona and the Opuhe, they come back slower. You don't make it. Uh, sorry. Now I just remembered what I wanted to mention. I got uh, thrown off in Waikapu um, and the steep slopes and how I was talking about. Um, I wanted to mention how these storms that we're getting hitting spots of the mountain is it happening on your islands too where um these new areas are you having these huge landslides more often like different parts of the mountain are you noticing that i'm noticing for example where I, you see lots of umbrella tree like these kind of softer woody things that are are really kind of pushing out other things that those spots tend they seem to me to be more liable to slide okay and so i'm really interested that kind of that interaction of whether that's compounding the the problem but, but for sure like these brain bombs whatever you want to mm -hmm. call them that 10 inches in a matter of hours i don't know what sort of ecosystem is really designed to withstand something like that and then you're left with the aftermath like if there's even a seed bank there i mean a lot of those landslides yeah. there's just a couple in the back of manoa here where it's like they're barren for years Okay, let's get back to the snails. What do I do? Yeah, um, I want to so, know, do you, do people breed them in the lab? Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, if we determine that, you know, it's something we should evacuate, mm -hmm. an evacuation or um, a rescue or in some places, you know, if we don't take that snail with us, we might not see it again. Right. And so in some cases we do take them out and sometimes it's not that it's, it's maybe, uh, maybe we want to learn about how to care for them, to breed them. Some of these snails haven't been bred in captivity before. There's some difficult ones that we've tried multiple times and haven't mm -hmm. been successful with, but there is a lab element to it. So on Oahu, we have, uh, 40 by 20 foot lab area and there's multiple climate controlled chambers where the snails are cared for and and put up into containers where um you know what happens out in the field a lot of times is that there's just a few trees with a few snails and the likelihood of these snails ever meeting up with each other is right really small so something we can do is put them really close together into a tiny area so that they get that opportunity. I, I like to think of it as Vegas or something like that. Roll, rolling the dice. <laughs> Where they, you know, you get a buffet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to meet some other nice. I mean, oh, Heinz, you're going to <laughs> Vegas. No <more. laughs> The eighth island. It's just in the lab. Oh man. Yeah, it's not it's the best we can do right now. Yeah. We're constantly yeah. um 
I think trying to be better at it. And there are other ways to do it, like fenced units where it happens more naturally. You're making babies there too. Same thing. But, you know, those are cost a lot of dollars. And they're not foolproof either. Yeah. Needs a lot of attention. Maybe for like the sake of people listening, could you just sort of rattle off the threats you know, besides habitat loss, obviously, is, is, a, is a big one. The rat is probably the worst of them. It's probably did most of the damage mm-hmm. because the next threat is the rosy wolf snail, which didn't come until a few decades ago. Right. Uh, I think like fi- 1959. And that's on all islands. We know we got rats everywhere, but. Pretty much, probably. I mean. Yeah. Carnivorous snail. Yeah. Even on Lanai and Molokai. Even on the North Shore area where you might think they hadn't been. Right. But people were farming in there. Right. Up mm-hmm. until those times, even mm-hmm. rice or whatever, people were back there. So it kind of got, maybe could have got introduced mm-hmm. back then. Um, so, yeah, that's a really bad threat. And then with the two, I mean, that's the one to knock out. Yeah. yeah. But then there's flatworms. There are pathogens that we don't even know about right there's mites oh and there's slugs everywhere they're carrying all kinds of stuff who knows Mm -hmm. they're everywhere Mm -hmm. what else chameleons yes chameleons yeah they get them on oahu for sure yeah mongoose even could eat a ground snail right right and a mastra the amastra is also the just the freaking urkels all our little Birds. Brown birds and stuff, right? You're catching it from all sides. Just about everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to throw cats in there too, since I'm calling out the mongoose. Poor little things. Oh my gosh. I imagine like the native birds ate them too back in the day. Like, holy. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, they actually, there was a study for poli to see what snails they were eating. So they, yeah, that was part of their diet. And mm-hmm. You know, other birds still probably eating them, amakis, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. But uh, yeah, he, I want to ask you, is your job statewide or are you Maui? Oh, I wish. <laughs> I'm just Maui Nui. Oh, that's plenty. <laughs> yeah, so much. It is. Yeah, that's plenty. It is. Man, hoping that we can expand to these underserved islands, Kauai. Hawaii Island. Legislators, give us What's money. Your, yeah, give us some money for the snail. It's the year of the Kahuli, for Christ's sake. So we still got a we still got a, a little bit left of the year. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's your take on the snail jails? Is that something you guys are looking at for Maui? Like I know Lanai, they're talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. They got two over there. Okay. Hopefully can get another one going at some point. I don't I haven't got pushback, but I know some in when we we're in amongst professionals, people don't tend to like them calling calling them snail jails but it's just too perfect why are people sensitive about that it's fun it's fun and it's funny <laughs> no i'm i'm teasing more it's these exclosures or yeah it is funny predator proof fences they don't know the background of that then maybe maybe not when it was just it was the snail jail over there on the YNIs, <laughs> right right the the so, one and I forget how many we have seven on Oahu now maybe wow but maybe that's the t- total yeah impressive yeah it's pretty cool and so for folks that are 
listening that don't know, they're just these predator proof fences, but they're trying to keep out multiple predators. So all the things that right. Kayahi just listed, especially though the predatory snails, which are a big one, the rats and the chameleons, they keep them out. And the design that's gone into this and the thought that's gone into have like multiple barriers to keep the, especially the snails are tough. And I know I've gone in there to do these sweeps, right? But before you introduce the snails into new ones. You've got to go inch by inch through the, on your hands and knees, making mm-hmm. sure there's none of these Uglandina, these rosy wolf snails in there. They're going to eat up the snails you put in. And it's, it's such, it's high, the labor intensive, just put it that way. High maintenance. I mean, it is like the closest thing we had to a biodome. Like, <laughs> little snail. I don't. That's of funny. like protection, which we've been talking about for 25 years with Jordan in concept, except it doesn't have the top on it. The enclosed roof. But like for the monsters, like they need it because you get the birds fly in there anyway. Like they're kind of finding it, it provides habitat for the ground snails as well, but they don't get the full protection they need probably. They're pretty elaborate and it's unfortunate really that that's what it takes to keep yeah. a snail alive existing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. <laughs> this is a dumb one maybe, but if you were trying to breed them in captivity, how do you even know what is male and female? If you get two females or two males or whatever, like do you just grab whatever and then hope for the best? Pretty much. Nah, because they are, they're hermaphrodites. The tree snails are at least. Oh, okay. I didn't even know that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's one thing I don't have to worry about. It's perfect. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh they're helping gosh. us out in one way. At least. Yeah. One All way. Right. Yeah, totally. In the one area that's easier than plants. Like maybe. sex, we got this. We got this. You're right. No you're right. <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, there's just one genus, Pleuropoma, I think, that um, has male females. So in that case, you just want to get a bunch because you can't really Mm -hmm. sex them. At least I don't know how yet. But these are micro snails, a rare, rare uh, ground micro snail. It's probably like three centimeters, two centimeters. And I've looked for these things. I can find them like one an hour sometimes. It takes me a whole hour to find one. Wow. Yeah, he just, it just strikes me the patience <laughs> in your job. Man, that has been a nice thing is that I've become more patient because like Clay said, like I wanted to go fast when I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now my wife says I drive like a grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> It affects you in all ways. Are you more patient with your kids or? <laughs> yeah, that's, I yeah? am. Oh, funny. Well, my dad was, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, that teaches, I mean, if nothing else, being a parent taught me, it's just patience. You got to have so much patience in it, you know a good lesson mm-hmm. yeah well i'm kind of like a parent for all kinds of things yeah you know like well i gotta think like one and man that's all you can have is patience yeah i mean even thinking about speed and you know i know just working as a botanist on, on Kauai, like you just want to go and roam and ramble and see what more is out there to like to just and i think about all these you know places that you're never gonna get to you just don't have the time yeah since my son i think i probably i camp less that's for sure now yeah totally yeah i'm not like charging out as much as i as i did before but i've been doing this for coming up like 19 years and i've been with the same woman for that long and i gotta give her 
the credit she's due for being there for my son when I'm not there right? and for our family. But yeah, I got to cut back a little more these days, especially in the period where he's at in his, you know, mm-hmm. childhood. Yeah. I just kind of want to be around more. Pretty soon, though, he's, he's going to be back to, you know, away. He won't be here anymore. That's and it. then yeah. that's like less than 10 years away now for me. Yeah. Same. Yeah, we're in the same boat. I think all of us, mm-hmm. like they still want to hang out with you. You got to like take advantage <laughs> <Yeah>. of that. <laughs> I'm so glad we're talking about this because this exact conversation we had about being a parent and being a mom with Ane and Carrie and how, what that's like. And in our last episode it was funny because i was like i'm not gonna ask you oh the work-life balance because like nobody ever asks that of guys and just not <laughs> however we <laughs> as moms make that calculation all the time <laughs> and i love that you brought it up organically because it's cool that we are involved parents thinking about it yeah yeah well she keeps me in check so <laughs> <laughs> truth be told <laughs> yeah you know, uh, but but thank you. You know, she's doing a great job at like helping us stay balanced and and yeah. um, I think it it has been helpful for he needs his dad around. Yeah. So, but I'm still trying to build a team to where I can send other people out and teach people. Mm-hmm. Got a couple good good people working with me right now, so you know they can kind of fill in where I can't. And um, that's great. So you have two. Others? Yeah, I got two guys. Or, oh, okay. Sorry. One is a guy. Okay. One is Onohine. So I got um, Jordan Tabura, a local boy, and Lily Tomi, who has been working with snails for a few years now. Mm-hmm. Um, she came over from Oahu and just both of them are doing like a really good job. So blessed to have the help there. Huh? You're moving up. That means you got to take care of, bring, bring some people up. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. I mean, I think that's been part of growing up for me too. Like you're not going to be able to just do it yourself and like the solo show or whatever. But I was curious, like what you've learned, you don't necessarily learn explicitly how to mm-hmm. take care of employees and like mentor them. And so I'm just curious, like how you see yourself in the middle now, we're like middle, are we all mid career? That was going to be my first mm. question. You consider yourself, no, we're in the middle, in that middle ground and how you, what kind of lessons you see bringing, you know, kind of passing down um, as you grow the SNAP program. <clears throat> Well, you know, um, I'm pretty sure that I like working by myself most of all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But no, it's good to have a team. And um, it's, you know, as you guys know, it's hard to, it is uh, a challenge to try and manage people or just even a project. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I want to give them experiences that are going to help us help my job. So like just learning how to move in the forest. Right. I think that's important. Totally. Can you get from here to there? How are you going to go from here to there? Show me. Yeah. The fundamentals. The coming home at night. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Staying uh, safe, you know, using ropes. Your headlamp. <laughs> Did you bring your headlamp today? Yeah. You know, but no, we have fun too. I bet. And they're keeping me young. <laughs> oh my gosh. You got to keep up with the younger people. Do the folks you hire come in with? some knowledge of how to identify or are they learning mostly in the field? I mean, it seems so specialized, so such a hard skill set. Yeah. To even have experience. It is extremely hard. And um, yeah, it's hard, really hard to find anyone. And then to find anyone um, that knows the Hawaiian ones, Mm -hmm. if you can find that, that's good. So 
I've been fortunate here and there. We, we get to find some of those people and try to maybe even target them, enlist them to be the next person who's yeah. going to keep it going. There's so many fields too of specialties that we we don't have here on Maui yeah. that we need. But yeah, I want to give them experiences and teach them how to do the do things right and and um, really be effective at taking care of of this place and everything mm-hmm. here and and so that we we can all live here for thousands of years to come. Yeah, and then there'll still be snails to go see. Yeah, hope so. No, there will be. There's gonna be some. We have had so many like tear jerking conversations about the fires on Maui. I was like, I just, I didn't want to ask you about mm. that because it's so, it's just so painful. And like, it was hard. Fire is like a real mm. thing on Maui, you know, it's yeah. the time of year, you know, it, and um, for a long time, I don't think anybody could no. imagine it could get no, that bad over here, but um, you know. We, we still can see more burn yeah. on Maui easily yeah, yeah. next it's year. It's not, um, the attention needs to be put on Lahaina and Kula. Like that's totally there. The need is greatest there, but in the sense of where the danger still persists. I'm like, all I can think about is why and I, there was a fire a few weeks ago and I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. is this going to be, you know, is this going to be our time here? You know, whatever. So yeah, everywhere. Everywhere. It's a lot. Oh. Have you personally had to like, family members and I'm sure friends. Yeah. Um, lost homes. Yeah. That kind. Nobody injured or any or Thankfully. killed that I personally know. Thank, thank God. Yeah. But I don't want to s- sound like an ass or anything, but there was a fire before that really affected me. I feel more personally than this one did, even though the one before mm-hmm. didn't take any Year before you're talking about the twenty twenty two one. Yeah. The the Helu fire, mm-hmm. Kaula and man, if thousands of lives yeah. are lost there too. Yeah. Snail wow. lives and tree lives and all these all kind people yeah. that live up there. And yeah. they're not coming back either. There's a lot of conversations about water and um resources on mm-hmm. West Maui now, yeah. And so I hope we can remember that we still need the forest, the native forest for or sustain all that. And we lost a big part of it. The way things are drying up now, we could see we could see a fire go to the top of the mountain. I swear to God, I could see a fire going all the Mm -hmm. way to Pukukuku. The whole mountain could burn one day. From either side, Mm -hmm. it gets so dry now. And the wind is so strong and the the sky is so clear that we could lose our whole mountain on there. And that can happen on any island. I just think like it's all connected, right? I mean, in terms of like the ignitions happening lower down, the need for agriculture, need for green breaks in the places. Mm-hmm. And so like the fight for water is connected to the protection of the lowlands, which is connected to reducing the maybe the ignitions and the spread of fire up. You know what I mean? And so it's all part of Malamaina, right? I mean, fundamentally. And the people fighting for yeah. water have been trying to get it for different reasons, but it's part of what you're saying, you know? And everyone's sort of been talking about these things forever, fire, the theme, the threat to, to people, threat to ecosystems. And now it took this, right, for us to have that attention. Yeah, it's that sort of the dark part of the 
longer history of the concern, right? Is that I, I was telling this to Hank, like talked to so many reporters about Lahaina and I, I mentioned that fire. I was like, there was a huge fire last year, right there, same place, but it went up. Yeah. And we've seen these things get hammered and all of communities so small, right? The people that actually get paid to do this work. I mean, it's growing and it's really exciting to see it grow, but it's still so small. It's not enough. And mm -hmm. there are the people that have had this history long enough time to see this happen over and over. It's sort of a, you're carrying this burden in the sense that like you don't see it change. And so, so yeah. many times the mountain burns and in that moment, everyone's like, holy crap, you know, Sometimes, sometimes no one even pays attention in the past. It's often like that. And then, you know, what happens in the aftermath, right? But the general public mm -hmm. doesn't quite understand that it's a, these kind of permanent changes. I mean, even I was at the point of like, it's not going to be ever enough to convince people that we need to make these changes. And the people that carry that burden have so much else on their shoulders and they look down the mountain and they're like, how could we possibly do all of it? Yeah. It's unfortunate that more people don't know what's up there. Yeah. So I think true. that's part of yeah. it. It just yeah, looks green. Exactly. Yeah. One color yeah. green too right. that they can see. Yeah. But if they knew that right. the palace was burning down, yeah. they would give a shit. Yeah. That's it. To be continued. To be continued for sure. Just going to ask you, maybe kind of in closing, what's one of the successes or lessons and or lessons from all the extensive field work you have done? Something that's really meaningful to you could be anything at all. You know, has there been some a discovery in the field, maybe a project you did where you're like, oh, I wish I'd done it this other way or you learned something new or different? I got a project that I'm really proud that I was part of on uh, the cliffs of Olokui on Molokai on the North Shore, and it's where Steve Perlman and Ken Wood would go to repel and collect seeds and pollinate flowers. And um, just the cliff area is really close to my heart, like I mentioned. And um, so uh, when I was in PEP, there's an opportunity to go down to the Brigamia and try to collect some seed. And I got to do that. And it was like a dream come true almost, you yeah. know, it was. I got to uh, be on like my home island in the place I was always trying to get to at the highest spot right. of that whole place, you know, that whole cliff line, um, trying to protect the rarest plant. And, you know, we brought back seeds and they were germinated for a few years, several years, out planted on the island, returned back. And that was like the dream come true. And to work on a, in such a special place that I still respect and um, put a lot of effort into to protecting that mountain. The other part of that question was um, like a challenge or something, huh? Or something that you learned, you know, like there's so many things that you can learn in school that mm. don't apply. And then you get in the field and you're like, oh, my God, that fence isn't going to work. Or that <laughs> helicopter plan I had is not worth the paper it's written on. Whatever, you know, there's just so many things that we plan for. And then it's just something else happens that's cool or you learn from try to be as successful as i can every time i want to come out of the field or whatever saying that was worth it it was successful mm. it's better now that we did something because you know that line if we don't do anything we already know what can happen right yeah and then the patience comes in like mm -hmm. if something happens you just got to be like 
okay, that was wrong and let's not do it again. Mm-hmm. And yeah, next time. Yeah. We get them and try to look at because, man, it's easy to fail sometimes because you're against so much. It's so many Things. So many things going on. We were talking about the questions we wanted to ask you last night, and Chuck was thinking, like, oh, you know, this Alani, this Melakopi Nutsaniai that he and Art saw in '92, mm-hmm. and then came back and it was dead. And he's like, we should have collected seed. <laughs> you know, there's that moment, and you're just like, you know, for him, mm-hmm. right? Or like putting all your effort into what I was thinking about this on Kauai, like my partner in crime over there, Natalia did this one project after I left where they just focus on one species. And they went through the whole process, collecting the seed, following it all the way through to the outplanting, as opposed to just kind of this going out and collecting, collecting, collecting. And just, she's like that one project focused on this one species. It's not Tetrable Sandra anymore. What is it? Polyseus. Yeah. I miss Tetrable mm-hmm. Sandra. <laughs> but yeah, you know, those kinds of things where you like look back and you're like, wow, man, you know, just the follow through. Sometimes I think about that too. What your effort towards those single species versus like the shotgun approach across everything. And it's hard because there's only one, one SNAP program for all Maui Nui, right? So what, yeah. what are you gonna, we talked about that with Hank too. Like, how do you balance getting out to see what's there even before you start prioritizing where you're going to take these more kind of nitty gritty actions. Intensive. Yeah. Well, surveying is one of the things you can keep doing and never stop Mm -hmm. to help just change the outlook on some of these species. You may think that something is really rare, but maybe it's rare because you only seen one or you only seen a few because you never looked right Mm -hmm. they're both important you know the surveys and just that part and seeing something all the way through the the outplanting and Mm -hmm. or the reintroduction um it's challenging how do you how do you balance all that and we try to with you know scores and lists and Mm -hmm. (laughs) but even those can be can favor things Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to lead with your heart too. Uh. I was just going to say, you know, you just got to intuitively just go in one direction. You've had so much field experience. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you just got to you rely on that. Yeah. That's why I'm also so stoked that you're in a position now where you can yeah. bring some folks up, right? Because totally. there's no other way to really pass that on, right? It's not like something we're going to write down all of Kiahi's field days. <laughs> You know, no. go and it's like that's the best way to kind of have that you know, transmission of the knowledge and the experience and really to perpetuate this is like a practice right it's really what it is it is it is i was fortunate to be mentored by some of the, the legends and mm-hmm. um like art Maderis and hank oppenheimer and joel lal steve mm-hmm. perlman ken wood all these guys you know i know they were they knew they were handing handing me the key. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate them. You got to hand it off to somebody. That's right. Totally. Or it dies. Mm-hmm. Because it's really, really hard to learn this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're not constantly trying to remember things. Yes. yes. And, and give a shit. <laughs> yeah. And be out amongst it, as they say. Yeah. Be out there. Yeah. Being out there in the forest and uh, knowing how to, like I mentioned, how to move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the forest to to see those things, that's a whole nother part of the job. Yeah. Another podcast on it. Yeah. <laughs> Clean your tabbies, everyone. Get ready to strap in. Well, I think that's a 
beautiful note to end on. Are there any words of wisdom from the field? Yeah, get out there, stay active, keep going, stay healthy. All of us. Yes. Keep your family happy. Yeah. <laughs> Keep your family happy. <laughs> happy wife. Your knees good. <laughs> yeah, knees. Watch your knees. Yes. Knees. Yeah, take care of the knees. Uh, take care of the mental health. Yeah. Major. Into the new year and hope you guys the best. Yeah, have a great holiday. Thanks so much, Keahi. Yeah, mahalo nui, Keahi, yeah. for coming on our show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks for having me. 